0: Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. So, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Go ahead and flip there with me. If you got a Bible, if you need one, we can get one in your hands. We have Bibles on the back that, that are yours. Once you have it, I want you stand to your feet with me as we read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. I know it's messy outside, but I missed y'all this week, so I'm going to still need y'all to talk to me this morning, okay? Don't be quiet with me this morning. You might be, though, after we get done talking about anger and reconciliation. So, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Here now the reading of God's word, starting in verse 21. The text reads, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Today I want to preach on anger and reconciliation. Can you say that with me? Anger and reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are good and awesome God. We don't deserve your goodness, God, but you choose to give it to us willingly because you love us. You see us in the midst of our mess. You say, my son, my daughter, my creation, I want you. I want you back. And that's regardless of what we've done, God, you still see us and you love us. God, I pray that we would feel that love, that we would know that love this morning. That we would come in contact with you in deeper ways than we ever have before and in new ways if we never have. God, I do pray one prayer for myself today as I'm preaching, God, that you would hide me behind your cross. Allow your word to go forth and let your people hear from you. Decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, I pray that you just have your way. You are a good God. We give you all the praise, all the honor and the glory and everyone set together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. anger and reconciliation. William Barclay in his commentary said while trying to sum up this passage, he says these words, look at these words with me. He says, if you want happiness in time and happiness in eternity, never leave an unreconciled quarrel or an unhealed breach between yourself and another act immediately to remove the barriers which anger has raised. Now, while I agree with some of this, I have a problem with this saying because, hear me, reconciliation is not purely about your happiness. See, I, now, it, it can bring happiness, but to just seek reconciliation because you want to be happy cheapens reconciliation. See, it, it makes it selfish and only about us. And sometimes, hear me, being reconciled doesn't bring happiness because once you reconcile the situation between you and another, you still may be hurting. It's, it may not be happiness. You still may hurt afterwards. So, so hear me, believers are to seek reconciliation not just for happiness, but here's why, because God sought reconciliation between us when he sent Jesus down here to die our death on the cross, hanging there with nails in each one of his hands, taking sin and death to the grave, getting up with power in his hands. And through that, if we believe in Jesus' death, bearing resurrection, we're reconciled to God. So us seeking reconciliation... When we do that as believers, we're now exemplifying the power of God working within us because of Jesus' work on our behalf. We're exemplifying that and showing it off to a world that does not know Jesus. But hear me. That statement, I do agree with part of it. I agree with the latter part of it because once we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's not about us anymore. You know, so once we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, We need to go out, and and if we have anger towards one another or we have disagreements with another person, we need to be swift to seek reconciliation, not not letting it linger. Jesus in this passage is touching on that, and I know it's a touchy subject, but we got to go there because as we preach expository messages and we're walking through the Bible text by text, line by line, that's where we are today, okay? Jesus in this passage is illustrating That the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder, is not just about murder. It's not just about murder, but before we commit the physical act of actually murdering somebody, anger starts to fester within us. It starts to build up within us. And instead of seeking reconciliation, most of the time, we don't seek reconciliation. But Jesus says in the text, don't you dare come to me. If you have an unreconciled situation with someone else, with a brother or sister, go seek reconciliation. Then come to me. So today I want to talk about two things. Number one, I want to talk about being angry with others. Talk about being angry with others. Number two, I want to talk about seeking reconciliation. So number one, being angry with others. And number two, seeking reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Our passage today comes on the heels of what Jesus said last week. when well, we talked about it with Pastor Luke, and he says he didn't come to get rid of the law, but he says, I come to fulfill it. And to follow that in our passage today, Jesus begins with a string of statements where he's giving this understanding of the law opposed to the prior understanding or teaching that went before him. And again, Jesus is not getting rid of the law. He's not getting rid of the law, but He's more so exposing the law. He's he's now bringing clarity to it, bringing it back to its original meaning. And sometimes, y'all, when I'm reading this, when I start reading the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it feels like Jesus is actually intensifying it a little bit. I mean, it, it seems a little harder, but in reality, it's not when you start to understand it. See, where people had it wrong when they're reading this, they missed the fact, when they're looking at the law, they missed the fact that God is way more concerned with the condition of our heart than he is the, the work of your hands. He, 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 he wants your heart because if he gets your heart, you know what he gets after that? He gets your hands, he gets your work. So if he gets your heart, he gets everything else it will follow. So again, Jesus in this passage, he's not getting rid of the law, but instead what's happening is he's exposing or pointing out the wrong interpretation, thus pointing us to the new and right interpretation, really the original meaning that God was trying to get at in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus is getting at. Now, this is key, so don't miss this. The law in the Old Testament wasn't merely about what you do. It wasn't merely about what you do. It was about exposing the nastiness in our hearts. It was about showing our inability to live up to this holy standard that God has set before us. It was about showing us our need for God. But instead, the religious leaders and the people here in the text, when they're understanding what had happened, where they take the law, family, they, 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 they just said, well, look. It says, thou shalt not murder, so if I just follow the law, if I don't murder somebody, then I'm good with God, right? All I got to do is, is not murder somebody. Then in return, me and God, we're, we're, we're good with one another, which made now their relationship transactional. You rub my back, I'll rub yours. I do this good thing for you, God, then you're going to do something good for me, Right? It also made them struggle with pretending to be better than they are and and start to perform in front of God to, to see if they can get more from God. Because there's no way, when you look at the passages, when you look at the Bible, there's no way in their own strength, even us in our own strength, we can live up to the holy standard God set before us in our own strength. We can't do it. And see, many of us struggle with this. We struggle with this because we start to think of this in our relationships with God. We we say, God, we're good. God, I've been living right. I've been doing all these things the way you want me to do it, God. I've been obeying your commandments, God. I've been coming to church on Sunday. God, that, that means I should get something in return, right? We start pretending and putting on like we're better than we actually are. We start performing and doing all these things to make sure we get what we need to get from God. And the reality is, as Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, that we're not saved by any work that we do. We're not saved by anything that we bring to the table. We're saved by God's grace through faith in his work alone, Not, not, not anything we do. And I don't know about you, I already mentioned it, but, but when you take a cursory reading, you start looking at the Sermon on the Mount, you look at the laws all throughout the Bible, when you just read through the Bible, you just look at it, hopefully y'all been reading through this as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, but when you read through it and you start looking at these passages and the commandments that God set before us, y'all, it's impossible. It's impossible for us to, to do all the things that he called us to do. It's impossible for me. I mean, you don't be angry with somebody. For real? Really? I mean, come on, God. We don't have the power. We don't have it in our hands to uphold what he's tell, calling us to. You would have to be Jesus. You got to be God himself, honestly, which is why I'm so thankful that he came down here and fulfilled the law. Now, hear me, though. That doesn't mean, though that we don't necessarily have to follow the law now. Just because he's fulfilled it doesn't mean that we don't follow it. And I got to say this because some of us do the opposite of what these people in the text did or what the religious leaders do. We don't look at it and say, I got to work to get in good with God. We say, well, God, Jesus fulfilled everything, so cool, I'm good. I can live the way I wanna live because Jesus already paid the price for me so I can, I can live my life the way I want to. Now we're taking advantage of God's grace. No, no, hear me. That interpretation in terms of I can do what I want to because Jesus fulfilled it or, or I had to work for my salvation because I gotta show God that I really care. Both of those are wrong. Both of those interpretations of the law are wrong or the Bible are wrong. But when we look at the law of God and see how impossible it is for us to live up to it, it should amplify our understanding and our need for God. It should amplify the fact that I can't do this, but I know you can, so I need you in my life, Jesus. It it should make us call on the name of Jesus because we can't do it. The standard is far greater than what we bring to the table. We can't do it. See, and because of that, what we see in this text is, is that People, including us, because we know we can't live up to the standard. What tends to happen, you see it in this text, is we start changing the law of God. We start changing the law of God in order for it to meet our standard. Now we can meet his standard because, because man, that's too high, but let me, let me just switch it to this. I feel like I could do this. And then when we start doing that, we're cheapening God's standard. We're lessening our need for God now because we're like, "Uh, uh, that's too much. But maybe he didn't really mean that. This is why Jesus says in verse 21, look at it with me. He says this. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, hear me. This is key because if we don't catch this, we're going to miss what he's saying in the rest of this Sermon on the Mount. We're going to miss it. In Exodus 20, when, when God is giving off these commandments, he, the Ten Commandments, the sixth commandment is recorded there. It actually does not say the latter part about liable to judgment. All it says is thou shalt not murder. It doesn't say the latter part. But by adding, putting this, this liable to judgment piece in there, watch this, it decreased. Or lessened the intensity of the command because now if you murder someone, you're liable to judgment. But if I don't murder someone, then I'm not liable to judgment and I'm cool. I'm good with God. I didn't murder anybody, so I'm okay. But family, that's, that's a problem because that's not exactly what God is trying to get at when he says the sixth commandment. He's not trying to convey that meaning. It actually was much more than that. Y'all hear me, hear me, because I think some of y'all might be missing this. It's kind of like when your parents say, don't touch that stove or you're going to get burnt. Y'all have parents like that? And then you as the older brother or sister, you going to tell your younger sibling, don't touch the stove or you're going to feel some heat. <laughs> it's, that's not the same thing. I mean, if he touches the stove, he's going to get burnt just like you. Catch what I'm saying here is that, that the meaning, the, 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 the line was changed, the, the wording was changed, and what happened now is the understanding changed. So if I could touch the stove and just feel some heat instead of getting burnt, that's different. See, so Jesus in this text, he's calling that out. And he's saying that's not actually what God meant when he put these, these commandments in. He, he's not he's not saying that. So in this text, what he's going to do, he's going to help us see it more clearly, understand it more clearly, what thou shall not murder means versus the watered-down version of don't do it so you don't get in trouble. So let's jump into the text. Verse 22, Jesus begins with this word but. Y'all see the word but? It says this word but. But is a conjunction that introduces a contrast, which means that Jesus, like I said now, is about to say something that's opposite of what the people had heard about thou shall not murder. Jesus begins and he says, this is bigger than murder and takes it a bit deeper, y'all. Y'all got your floaties on? We're going to go a little deeper. He begins by saying, anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Notice he says, brother. Don't be angry with a brother. The word brother here is consistent with a fellow member of a religious community or church for us. Now, Jesus is not implying that it's all right to be angry with people who are not in your church or who are not Christians. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he applies this injunction right here in the text, first of all, to those whom anger is most inappropriate believers against other believers. That is to say, it's particularly bad for Christians to get angry with other Christians who have themselves been spared from the wrath of God. Follow what I'm saying with this. And I got to say this because it's true, but it, it hurts my heart to have to even say this, but sometimes the church can be the most backstabbing, conniving, Hurtful place for people to be in. Many of us have been hurt by the church in our lives, by fellow believers, which hurts deeply because if I can't go to church and receive love, then where am I going to get it from? And, and we sit around wondering why people won't come into church and sit in a pew with us. I might want to be a part of that mess. Some folks have never stepped foot in the church building because as adults, they saw too much growing up. They saw too much hurt. Worse than what's out in the streets, as they say. Jesus in this passage is saying, by stating, brother, there is no place for anger to make a home among Christian relationships. Says the church is to display Christ's love, not his hate. Now with that, let me ask y'all, how many of y'all have been angry with one another before? Now you're reluctant to answer that, right? Because I just said that. How many of us have been angry with one another before? Go ahead, be honest. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Been angry with people before? I mean, let's be honest. So so we got to talk about this, right? Because we all get angry. Jesus breaks down this understanding of anger in two ways. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, he says, anyone who insults Or calls a brother a fool will be liable to the council or to the hell of fire. Now, when he says whoever insults, this word insult in the original language is pronounced raka, which means empty headed or worthless. How many of us thought of other people like you worthless, you empty? Y'all ain't never thought that before? Y'all ain't gonna be honest with me this morning. I see two hands. All right, now. This word breaks down a little deeper to someone being guilty of expressions of contempt, strife, evil thoughts. Been there before? Evil thoughts? Come on now. Y'all ain't honest this morning. Come on. See, and, and here is the thing. You may not see anger always listed in the list of sins when you read through the Bible, but you will always see other forms of anger like contempt, strife, and evil thoughts listed right there next to murder because anger is just as bad. Anger and these other roots to anger, in fact, are most of the time the motivation to murder. And hear me, I'm not just talking about physical murder. I'm not talking about just physical murder. And I got to say this because some of us have murdered people in our minds and in our hearts. Don't act like you ain't never done that before. Don't act like it. All right, we got to be honest this morning. No, the text really can't speak. Here's the thing. Let me get a snapshot of your, pitch, of your thoughts throughout the last week. Just thought life. Somebody did something wrong to you. Let me, let me get a snapshot of what you thought about them. We've all been there before. We've all had evil thoughts. We have all had thoughts that are as foul as murder at times. Again, this feeling of contempt that actually leads to physical, it, it, it leads to physical murder. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I like to read a lot of his stuff. He says it this way. He says, killing does not only mean destroying life physically. It means still more trying to destroy the spirit and the soul, destroying the person in any shape or form. Family, we can destroy folks without even touching them. Just by our thoughts. By what lies in our hearts. Some of us are some straight-up killers. No, we're we, we some straight-up killers in our minds and in our hearts. I mean, some of us can murder people with a look. I mean, y'all ever met somebody? I, I love him, My boy tells me, like, he's like, you ever met somebody that has an ugly, like a mean resting face? I mean, they don't have to say nothing to you. Just the way they look at you, it kills you inside. Like, what did I do to you? And you're constantly asking them, like, what's wrong with you? Why your face looks so mean? You're like, you about to kill me? What's wrong with you? And they're like, nothing. Well, smile then. I mean, we could kill people with just a look. It don't have to be Physical but I know maybe that's not y'all. You're like, no, Pastor D, I don't deal with anger. I don't have any contempt. I don't have evil thoughts. I'm perfect. Okay, well, Jesus says it another way because he knew some of us would be that way. So he keeps going in the text. He says, if you call someone a fool, you, you shall be in danger of the hell of fire. Now, you may not have contempt, but you have definitely called somebody a fool before, especially driving here in Chicago. I mean, somebody cut you off on the freeway, you, you driving, you, you singing your music, everything, and they cut you off, and you will say stuff, windows up, of course, that you have never imagined in your life, you could say. I mean, I'm driving my kids to school, and y'all, I got to apologize to them almost every day because of these fools, I mean, people in Chicago. I mean, for real, the driving in Chicago will make you go crazy. It's not that bad, huh, Miss Barber? It's what Jesus is trying to get at in this text is that is that this word fool right here, when he says that, if you look at it in his original meaning, it's pronounced moros, moros in the original language, and it's an expression of abuse. It's the vilifying of a person. This is when bitterness and hatred in our hearts. Finds its expression in words. It's, it's when you, you, you tear someone down by what you say with your mouth. Hear me, family. Some of us are experts at tearing other people down. I mean, just drunk off Haterade. Y'all don't even know what that is. Not Gatorade. Don't have anything good to say about people. We're bitter, and you know what bitterness does? It breeds more bitterness. So you start acting bitter towards other people. Jesus says in this text, it's not just about murder, but you shouldn't be anger, angry. You shouldn't have contempt or evil thoughts or call someone out of their name. All of this is sinful and not upholding my commandment and not murdering. Now, now, now this doesn't mean, don't, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that that anger is wrong. In fact, Jesus was angry. Jesus called people fools. But the difference between Jesus and us is that he's God in the flesh. It's a big difference. And when he gets angry or says this word, Fool, he does so in a judicial or righteous way, like when he goes into the temple and he starts turning over the, the, the money changing tables. That's he's not doing that out of contempt for these people. He sees the sin that's happening in his father's house, and it causes anger inside of him to rise up and he starts changing, turning over these tables. It's not about the people, he's not meeting them with contempt. When he calls people fools, it's always in a way where he's it's it's a judgment happening. Now, now Jesus can judge people. Us, we're not pure. We're We're not holy like Jesus, so we're not able to judge people in a righteous way. Jesus does that as God in the flesh. So when he calls somebody a fool, it actually is what it means in its meaning. So so you ask, but what what, what is Jesus saying then, and how does one be angry and not sin like the Bible says? Okay, I need you all to hear me with this. Because you may have missed it when I just talked about Jesus getting angry. There's a big difference with anger because of sin, and being angry at a person. It's a big difference. With righteous anger, there has to be a distinction between the person and what they actually do. Righteous anger is anger towards sin and not the person because the person, or all of us for that matter, are sinful, which means that we're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're always going to fall short. We're going to let people down. So, for instance, you use this scripture for itself. This is, this is a tough one. But I can be mad at the sin of murder. Murder all over Chicago. I can't stand murder happening. I, I'm upset with the sin of murder. But for me to meet the person, this is tough, that committed murder with contempt and harsh words, Now that's sinful on my part, and now in my anger, I'm actually committing murder or sinning too. See, what Jesus is saying in this passage is that it's okay to be mad at the actual sin or wrongdoing, but for the person that commits or does the wrongdoing, Jesus is saying that they should always be met with compassion and sorrow. Now hear me before you close off your ears. Here's why. Because you, being a believer... Saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. You too once were in messiness. You two once were in mess and grime. And if it wasn't for Jesus pulling you out of your mess, saving you by his grace, you too would be the same way. So he says, you can't meet them with contempt. You can't meet them with harsh words. Meet them with grace. So there's a difference with being upset with the sin a person commits and the actual person themselves. That's hard. That's tough because if someone kills someone that I love, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be mad, which proves what Jesus is actually getting at in this text, which is that it's impossible for us to keep the law and not sin, which amplifies our understanding of how I need Jesus. Oh, how I need him. See, the standard God calls us to is way too high. It's way too high, and only he can fulfill it. So there's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for the selfish righteousness of the Pharisees or even for us to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not committing murder, so I'm not as bad as that person. There's no room for that because when we break this down, as we walk through this, Jesus is saying all of us have killed somebody in our minds, in our hearts, and in our mouths. We've all done that. Which is why I'm thankful for Jesus fulfilling the law. Because without him, y'all, I would be destined for an eternity in the hell. The hell of fire, like it says in the text. But hear me, that does not mean that I just go about living my life not caring what the law says. What it does, though, is brings understanding again to that need for Jesus. And when I realize my anger, when I realize I have thoughts that are not like his, when I realize my heart is not in the right place, when I realize words start coming out of my mouth that shouldn't be there, I make it my mission to drop to my knees and say, Jesus, I need you to help me see the person and not the person mixed with their sin. I need need help to see that they need you too and not just look at them all combined with the messiness of their life because I once was there too. See, this is hard, but there has to be a distinction between the people or the person and their sin. People are sinful. But guess what? Jesus still wants his people back. He dies on the cross for the sin. He takes it to the grave. He leaves it there and he's still wanting people to come back to him. He said, leave the sin there. Just come to me. I want you. He still wants you. It's okay, family, to be angry with sin, but not the person. See, but regardless of the sin, hear me, the believer should still want the same thing that Jesus wants, the people to come in, in, in contact with the grace of a loving God. The grace of Jesus Christ. See, in God's economy, hear me, your activity is not your identity. Your activity is not your identity. Regardless of our wrongdoing, he still wants us. Let him do the changing. This all leaves us, though, with what do we do with this? Because I would venture to say, after we're breaking all of this down about anger, there's not one of us in here that has not failed in our anger. Not one of us that has not killed someone in our minds in our hearts, or with our mouths. Jesus then says in verse 23 to 24, "If you have a gift, bring it to the altar to bring to the altar, and a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go rec- be reconciled to them, and then come back to offer the gift. So here, Jesus is not only saying, don't murder anybody, don't, don't do it with your." mouth, don't have evil thoughts, don't have contempt, he's not only saying that, he takes it a step further, and he says, look, go, not be reconciled with him. Don't just have the thought, go, go be reconciled with him. Ooh, God. It was enough to break down what actually don't murder means, but now you're telling me that I need to go out and, and, and go be reconciled with somebody I don't want to be around, someone that hurt me? That's tough. Some of us have hurt, we have pain, bitterness that's pent up. We've, we've been harboring for days, months, years, which we, we've already killed that other individual as explained earlier in our hearts and our minds. It's already there. And because of that, now Jesus is saying, look, 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 don't even come to me for anything because we're not seeking reconciliation. In essence, Jesus is saying, look here, there's no such thing for the believer to just sweep things under the rug. Doesn't work. There's no such thing as I'm fine. I'm just going to work it all out in my own time. I'll get over it. There's no such thing as that for the believer. This is where harmonizing, hear me, y'all, can be sinful because instead of speaking truth or addressing the conflict of the situation, you're allowing yourself or the other person to live in sin because you're not addressing the problem. Now, that doesn't mean I gotta say this, that every little thing that rubs you the wrong way, you need to go confront somebody about it. Some of us are just too sensitive. We too sensitive. Your favorite color is blue, and somebody says they hate blue and they love green, and then you run around and go, I'm going to tell my mama because you don't like blue. It's too sensitive. I mean, get over it. They don't like your color. It's okay. So sometimes you need to check yourself, step back a little bit, and say, well, is this actually me, or is it actually something that that rubbed me the wrong way? They really did hurt me. Because sometimes things need to be addressed. And by not addressing them, you or that person that didn't say anything is now the one that's sinning because they tried to harmonize. They tried to sweep it under the rug. Let's get over it. See, true reconciliation means recognize the faults, recognize the wrongdoings, and restore what once was, whether that be in a relationship or a friendship. But hear me. True relation, true reconciliation takes both parties. takes both parties. Let me put it this way because I don't want you to miss this. In salvation with Jesus Christ, we realize we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, his standards. So we say, God, please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong. I want you on the throne of my life. We come to him when we repent. We're saying we're going to go the other way, away from where we've been. And now Jesus accepts us, forgives us, See the two parties? Two people working. He forgives us, and now because of that, we have eternal life with him. Two parties, not one. Friendship somebody wrongs somebody. They do something wrong to that other person or to their friend. They go and they ask for forgiveness, and the friend says, You are forgiven. Again, there's two parties, right? They keep going forward with one another. But the question becomes what happens when both of them or one doesn't choose? to be reconciled? Hear me, the question is answered because there there can be no reconciliation. It takes both parties. But that doesn't mean don't seek it. That doesn't mean go, don't seek after reconciliation. Jesus in this passage doesn't say in the text to to that person, don't only go go to the person you know if, if if they're going to forgive you. He doesn't say in the passage, only seek reconciliation if it's going to be reconciled, the situation. Now, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were yet enemies of the cross, which meant that we were not believers, he did this on his own without us actually believing. There's one party acting here. So Jesus died for us, which means that some of y'all have heard me say this before. Forgiveness is not contingent on both parties actually acting on it, which means that it, isn't, it isn't, I'm not just going to be forgiven or I'm not going to ask for forgiveness if, if somebody apologizes to me. Uh, it, it's, it's not the apology. It's not based on the apology or accepting one. See, forgiveness can happen and can be granted without both parties, but reconciliation cannot. There's a difference. You can forgive without true reconciliation, but but regardless, as believers, we're still to seek reconciliation, which is tough. Because if someone wrongs me, I want an apology for me to forgive. That's how we think, right? Be honest. So what happens is we harbor resentment and we harbor bitterness thus killing this individual in our hearts in our minds with our words and Jesus is saying that's not Christian. That's not what I've called you to as my son or my daughter. So he says before you come to me go 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 be reconciled. Go seek reconciliation. Family as believers we are to seek reconciliation And forgive if you have been wrong. But again, that doesn't mean that the other person will act accordingly and things will be okay. Sometimes people may never come around. And we have to be okay with that and know that we did everything that we needed to do. Everything that we could do to seek reconciliation. Sometimes you just got to pray. And that's tough. Because sometimes this involves a family member. Sometimes it involves a spouse, even a close friend, and instead of prying and trying to get them to understand they're wrong or accept your forgiveness, sometimes you need to step back and make sure you did all you can, that you're right before God, and just pray and allow God to work in that person's heart. I once heard a pastor's wife say this before, she said it this way, she said, I'll... While in the argument with her husband, yes, y'all hear me, pastors and wives, we do argue. We ain't that, we ain't that, we ain't that holy, okay? We do argue. Don't amen too loud, baby. <laughs> they, they argue. So, so the wife says, instead of arguing with my husband, what I do is I, I leave him there and in the midst of the argument, I go into the next room, and she said, I just start praying, And I pray for God to move because she knows that the Holy Spirit is able to move in a way that she can't move. So she says, look, I pray for conviction in my own heart, for things that I've done wrong. I pray for him to convict his heart because if we're both believers, you know what that means? The same Holy Spirit exists in him and it's going to bring us back together once. We're going to come back back together and we're going to be reconciled one way or another. So she says, I'm going to pray instead of argue with him. And all the time they come back together and they're reconciled. But that doesn't mean they don't have differences. So hear me, sometimes you just got to go to God and trust him to do things that you can't do. But some of you are saying, well, okay, that's for believers. What about when you're with somebody who doesn't believe the same thing you believe? What do you do then? Hear me, it's very deep. Come in close. You do the same thing. You do the same thing. You seek reconciliation. If it's not accepted, then you pray. You pray for God to move on that other person's heart in a way that you can't move. You know why? Because at one time and point, you too, or me too, were unbelievers. And you know what God did? He moved in our heart to draw us to himself. He drew us to himself where there was first reconciliation with him, and now we can be reconciled with other people. So hear me. Sometimes you just got to trust God with the situation. And this is key for Christians because Christian, hear me, hear me. God did not call you to be God himself. He didn't call you to be God in somebody else's life. He said, Jesus said, be my witnesses. He didn't say, be me. He said, be my witnesses. Jesus saved us not, he saved us, not us. It's by our belief in his work and what he did on the cross that we're saved. Not because of our works. You can't persuade or force reconciliation. Let God work. Y'all hear me? God is still in the business of saving people, and he still wants people back with him. If he he wants to right now, he can save someone under the sound of my voice. He doesn't need me. He can work in any way to pull people to himself. God doesn't need our help to save people. He's the author of creation. He's the Alpha and Omega, which means that he was was here before the beginning of time, and guess what? He's going to be here long after we're dead and gone. So if he wants to bring somebody to himself, if he wants to save somebody, if he wants to work, God can do the impossible with the things that we think are impossible. Which, hear me, means that that unreconciled situation that you've just written off, God can do the impossible with it. But we have to trust him with it and seek reconciliation regardless of what we think might happen. He says, don't bring your gift to me. Go be reconciled first. So regardless of reconciliation happening or not, the Christian has to do all that's necessary and in their ability to try and seek it. Jesus, in this passage, if you haven't felt it, he's very clear about this fact. We cannot be right with God until we're right with other people. We cannot hope for forgiveness until we have confessed our sin, not only to God, but to other people. And the hard truth is, he says it in this text based on verse 26, that if we don't seek reconciliation with others, the gap between us and God, that barrier with God will last for eternity. See, some of us, we're struggling with this. We sometimes wonder why there's a barrier between us and God. We sometimes wonder why our prayers are unavailing. It feels like God is not answering. Stuff hitting you right and left. You can't catch a break. You're asking God, what do I have to do? I'm trying to do all things right. Why can't things work in my favor? And here's the hard truth from the scripture. It may be because ourselves, we have erected this barrier between God and us. Because we have not sought reconciliation with a brother or sister, somebody else in our life, somebody that has wronged us, or we have not actually apologized or sought forgiveness for something we have done. As we get ready to end, let me say this plainly, because I don't want you to miss this. There's no value in our worship of God if we're harboring on sin. It's tough, but it's true. It is sinful to have anger towards another in your mind, in your heart, or even with the words that come out of your mouth. It is sinful to harbor unforgiveness or be a Christian and not seek reconciliation. And if you harbor harboring enmity towards someone else and you're not speaking to them, this is a hindrance between... You and God. It's a hindrance in your walk with him. The psalmist says it in Psalm 66, 18. He says these words. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Family, Jesus is saying, don't look at this commandment and say, if I just don't murder someone, I'm okay. No, no, he's saying Don't even have anger towards someone in your heart, in your mind, or even in your words. Instead, seek reconciliation. Friends, there's some of us in here where God wants to move in our lives. He wants to do something amazing. But because our hearts are so hardened towards somebody else, he can't move. There's a barrier This is what I want to do as we close today. Everybody close your eyes because I know we all struggle with this in one way or another. Whether it's an issue between you or someone, this issue is big or small. It's going on for a week or years. I want you to get that person in your mind right now. some of us it may be a spouse some it may be a relative maybe a mother or father brother uncle for some it may be a co-worker get that person in your mind right now maybe they wronged you or you wronged them Once you have that person in your mind, I just want to pray and I want you to just in agreement with me. I'm the only one looking and it's just I just want us to be honest this morning and put a hand in the air. I just want to see it because I'm praying with you. This week, I had to do the same thing and seek reconciliation. If that's you, just put your hand in the air and you're saying, I need to seek reconciliation with somebody. I just want to, I just want you to agree with me. Be honest this morning. That's what the church is for. We come in here, we leave better than we came in. I just want to pray that God will give us a heart of forgiveness. I want to pray that God will give us a heart of boldness to confront or even ask forgiveness. I want to pray that we will be quick to seek reconciliation and slow to anger. Let's pray. Father God, you're a good God. First off, God, we didn't deserve to be reconciled to you either. All the mess we've done, even what we did last night. This morning, God, just our thoughts. We don't deserve your goodness, God, but You still love us despite the messiness in our hearts. You look at us and say, I want him, I want her. I want to do something new in their lives. God, I I pray if someone never felt that love or that fact that you want them with them. God, I pray that right now, God, you'd intercede in their hearts and they would call out and say, Jesus, I need you. Pray for those in here that have unreconciled relationships or anger towards somebody in their mind or in their heart even if they're still struggling with this god but i pray that you would work in their hearts to go confront and love or even ask for forgiveness god god you didn't call us to be in relationship with one another where there's unreconciled differences But you called us together to be the church, and your word says to be one. John 17 to be one, God. To show off your glory. That people would know us by our love. So, God, I pray that we will be quick to seek reconciliation with one another. That we would love those who some deem unlovable. Knowing that first we were once in that space. God, we love you. We give you all the honor and all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we all say together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh